experts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Another Monday morning, another dose of good news on the vaccine front. Another good day in the equity markets. This keeps up. More and more people are going to start looking forward to Monday mornings. Welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. So glad you could join us. If you've been listening, you know I'm a big believer in this market. I think we actually have a long, long way to go from here. And it won't be a straight line up, of course. We could actually, what I should say is, it's more than likely we'll have numerous setbacks along the way. And when I say setback, that's just a nice way of me saying, We'll have pullbacks of 5, 10, maybe even 20% along the way. But I think over the long term, things look pretty good. What about the short term? Well, glad you asked. Your guess is about as good as mine. Personally, I think that we're in for a short breather here. We've had a nice run here lately, and I think the market needs to, to digest the gains and work off the current overbought conditions. According to the American Association of Individual Investors, the old AAII, the bulls are back in droves. And the AAII bull bear ratio, well, it's slingshotted to the highest level since January 2018. And this is cause for near-term concern because it's historically served as a reliable contrary signal. I've talked about these investments sentiment indicators many times before, but as a refresher, when they're at their extremes, you'd be wise to do the opposite of what everybody else is doing. We're not at an extreme right now, but we're getting up there. Another one that you can look at is the CNN fear and greed gauge or index. And right now it's showing a good dose of greed in the market. The equity markets, it's reaction to the The positive vaccine news has pushed the percentage of S&P 500 stocks trading above their 200-day moving average to a zenith. That's another warning that the S&P will most likely move laterally for a bit. This is barring any big news on the reopening trade, which is very, very possible. So far, we've had Pfizer announce that their vaccine had a 90% effectiveness rate. A week later, Moderna came out. They announced that their vaccine had a 94% effectiveness rate. And there's still about nine or 10 possible vaccine candidates in late stage testing around the world. So who knows? We could get one that has a 99% effectiveness and is easy to produce and distribute. And then the market goes to the moon. Let's talk about where I think you can find value now. And I've been talking about the industrial names for a couple of months. And even though they've had a pretty nice run, I think there's still more upside to them. I've mentioned the stocks that I own and have bought for clients names like Caterpillar, CAT, uh, Raytheon, symbol RTX, uh, Westco International is probably the newest addition in the industrials, symbol WCC. I think that there's opportunities in the financials too. I know most people think the banks are dead money because of low interest rates. The way a bank makes money is by borrowing short-term 
and lending longer term. The difference between the price they pay for deposits and the money they earn on their loans is called their net interest margin. With rates near zero, well, the spread isn't all that great. But I don't think that's the full story. That's the story most investors are focused on. It's the one I always hear from my colleagues and from from investors. Excuse me. But I don't think it's the complete story. I think that banks have much higher capital relative to their assets today than what they had 10 years ago, which means they're substantially less risky businesses. And because of that, cash flow should be discounted at a lower rate and should result in higher PE multiples. Not to get too wonky on you there, but they should be worth more now than they were 10 years ago. But most of the Wall Street analysts still say that the industry, you know, they'll look at it and they'll say, well, it's historically traded at 10 or 11 times earnings. So we think that's still appropriate. I don't think that there's any acknowledgement that there are better businesses now than 10 years ago. And I think the larger banks have more of an advantage than the smaller banks because their scale helps with you know, mobile apps. You know, no one really goes into a bank anymore. It helps them with fraud protection and regulatory compliance. I think that's why big banks are gaining more share today without having to go out and buy the smaller banks like they used to in order to build scale. So what happens here is either the market re-rates the banks, meaning they pay more for a dollar of their earnings, or the banks look at it and say, there's no better use of our capital than to buy back our own stock at less than book value. Before the pandemic, you had a number of large banks that were not only paying a dividend that was more than the yield on the 10-year treasury, but they were buying back enough shares to the point that their earnings per share were growing at double digits, even though the top-line growth was only a couple of percent a year. I don't mind investing in companies that use their cash flow to increase the value of the business, especially in a low a low loan growth environment. Why make a 2% mortgage loan when you can buy back your stock at a big discount to your stated book value? I think it's something to watch in the future. And one of the best banks out there, in my opinion, of course, is USB, US Bank Corp. You always have to do your own research. Don't, don't take my word for it. But I wouldn't argue with you if you wanted something like a Bank America, symbol BAC, or JP Morgan, symbol JPM. The only one I might raise an eyebrow at, uh, eyebrow at would be Citigroup, symbol C, but we'll get into that another time. If you're still not a big fan of the banks, then maybe the asset managers are more towards your liking. The asset managers are the folks who manage money. They typically charge on the amount of money they manage. You know, the more money they have, the more money they make. I think there's a lot of money on the sidelines and we're starting to see that in the stock and bond fund flows. A lot of that money is coming back into the market and it will increase as the market tends to go higher. So the asset managers may be a place for you to start doing some digging. People like Block 
BlackRock or Invesco or Hero Price. By the way, I talked about Berkshire Hathaway last uh, last week, symbol BRK. I buy the B shares. I own the B shares. So it'd be BRKB. If that dips back below 220, I think that would be a fine addition to someone's portfolio. And I bring it up because something interesting happened this past week with Berkshire in that they released their 13F report. Now, the 13F is a report where money managers list their holdings. If you're interested, you can go to a website like Datarama. That's right, datarama.com. And they have a list of, it's mostly value managers, and you can see what they bought or sold over the last quarter. It's interesting stuff, and it may give you some ideas of where you want to do some research. Anyhow, Berkshire filed their 13F this past week. And the curious thing that I noticed was that they listed total purchases at about $9 billion. But in another filing, their 10Q, they said that they bought $17.6 billion in equities. So there's about a seven or $8 billion difference. The math doesn't line up here. The discrepancy appears to reflect a confidential filing, in my opinion. Confidential filing of a holding with the Securities Exchange Commissions and also some purchases of foreign stocks, which uh, includes, I think it was five Japanese trading companies that Berkshire disclosed back in uh, late summer. Overseas stock holdings aren't reported in the 13F filings, and Berkshire's purchase of the Japanese companies probably totaled about one to two billion in the third quarter. Total holding of them is about six billion dollars bought over a period of a year. What that all means is that, or what it might mean, I should say, is that there's a sizable U.S. holding not listed, possibly around five or six billion dollars worth. We're just going to have to wait and see. This isn't the first time that Berkshire has periodically request confidentiality from the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission. This isn't the first time um, that this has happened over the years when he's been building a, a position in stock. He's essentially argued that revealing the holding would drive up the price and make it more expensive for him to buy. And if the confidentiality is granted, the company reports the holding to the SEC but doesn't have to publicly disclose it. Now, the last time this happened, the last time that I remember, was back in 2015 when he was buying shares of Phillips 66. So again, it's very possible that Berkshire could be building a position of about five or $6 billion in a company that we're just not aware of yet, maybe in a few weeks. So, okay, we're going to leave it here for today. We're skipping next week's show because of the Thanksgiving holiday, and we'll be back the week after. Next week's market action could be a little choppy with lighter volume the closer we get to Thursday, and Friday is a half day for stocks. Hopefully, I'll have an update on the annual outlook when when we come back for that show. But until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. I'm Eric Whiteman, and this has been Common Sense Investing. Have a great Thanksgiving.
opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the host and may not necessarily be those of XML Financial Group. Information provided should not be construed as personalized investment advice or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or engage in a particular investment strategy. You should consult your personal financial advisor before investing to make sure an investment is appropriate for your situation. Furthermore, this information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor. Investing strategies such as asset allocation, diversification, or rebalancing do not assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses. There are no guarantees that a portfolio employing these or any other strategy will outperform a portfolio that does not engage in such strategies. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.